Thank you so much for listening to Out of the Box Podcast, guys. I really would love if you could show your support and help us grow. Download the Fountain app on iOS or Android and follow us Out of the Box Podcast and start listening. You can share your thoughts on the episode by sending a boost. It's a little payment with a message and see what other listeners have to say or create clips of your favorite moments of silly stuff I'm saying or like really cool guests. Getting started is so easy. You can get your Fountain wallet, add some money with a bank card. Oh, and you can earn money too by just listening on the Fountain app. It's a no-brainer. Visit fountain.fm to learn more. Hi guys, you're watching Out of the Box Podcast with Rosie Tran. I'm here with a very special guest, Dan Thompson. He is um, from Wise Money Tools. He's a financial expert, a non-traditional investor, and his life goal really is to change the way people look and have a relationship with their finances. Dan, how are you doing today? I am doing great. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you. So obviously on Out of the Box, we're really into non-traditional things and tell us a little bit about Wise Money Tools before we get started into your backstory and some of the things that you talk about. Yeah, I think you kind of hit it right on the head. We try to take things a little bit differently, a little out of the box thinking, more non-traditional type um, uh, approaches to money and wealth and investing. And yeah, just try to have some fun. That's great. So you are a successful financial business planner, a custom home builder, you run multiple businesses, serial entrepreneur, and obviously that's going to be a different mindset. There's actually a big, um, the, the younger generation is not getting into entrepreneurship and investing as much as the older generation. I think that is to blame for a lot of the um, wealth inequities, not um, that things are getting harder. I think things are getting easier with the internet. And I think people just don't have the knowledge and it's such an important thing. So tell us a little bit about how um, your life experiences growing up impacted your worldview and your worldview about success and money and, and finance. Yeah. So, you know, I grew up in California, uh, Northern California, and uh, I would say we were very, very low, low, low middle class. <laughs> um, There's nothing wrong with that, but uh, my, yeah, a lot of lows there. <laughs> yeah. My dad was a hard worker, but never could seem to make ends meet, just, you know, paycheck to paycheck. And one day, uh, I was about 15 years old. Somehow he was driving around with a, a really wealthy guy. Um, and I was in the back seat and I was listening to him talk. And this guy said that he made $30,000 that month in the stock market, that month. Now, I'm 15. I'm working for $250 an hour. You're like, wait a minute. A <laughs> <laughs> house. I'm, I, I quickly run this calculation in my head and say, that would take me, you know, 16 years <laughs> to make $30,000 at my current hours and rate. Anyway, so right then and there, literally 15 years old, said, I'm going to be a stockbroker someday. That is, if that's where the money's at. Anyway, so uh, that's what I did. I just pursued that path. I became a stockbroker in uh, 1986, I believe. And for about the first 14, 15 years of my career, I kind of went that traditional, you know, 
back then you had to call a broker to do it in 50 different places online. So it kind of got um, outdated. But I, uh, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out this more traditional financial planning, if you will. After the dot-com boom and bust of the 90s, I just, I said, man, I got to find a better way. So I just kind of went on a hunt for a couple of years, looking at everything. What I found is that um, there was a way to uh, creatively use life insurance as a way to leverage into other investments. And so what we started doing with our clients is just packing a lot of money into these tax advantaged, um, high cash value life insurance policies, then we would use those policies to do other things, real estate, carbon credits, conservation easements, all the different things that your traditional financial planner just doesn't even have access to. And it's just been fun. And our whole focus is on, um, on income and tax, tax efficiency. I always say there's, uh, there's tax calculations and then there's tax planning. Most CPAs, accountants, you know, they, they do tax calculations. They tell you what you're going to owe. We try to do tax planning, uh, which basically means we're trying to eliminate even, um, you know, just at least reduce, if not eliminate your taxes in the most, in, in, a, in the safest way we can and the most predictable way we can. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about some of your um, early life challenges that you had to deal with, some of the difficulties that you had to overcome that eventually helped you where you are today. Because, you know, I think some people might watch this podcast or listen to this podcast and say, oh, it's an old white guy in finance. You know, what is what has he had to overcome, right? There's a stereotype. And so I would really like to focus on that to show people that, you know, like you said, you came from a low-income background and things that you had to overcome to get successful and that mindset, which is really important. Yeah, no, that's great. So yeah, coming from that, so my dad was a vacuum salesman door to door. I mean, so it was just brutal. Uh, his lifestyle, he worked hard again, like I said, but we never had any money. And if I wanted something, I had to figure out a way to get it. I remember the first time I wanted a, a pair of snow skis and uh, it was just up to me to figure out how to do it. Me and school didn't get along all that well. <laughs> I, uh, I, I uh, was plenty, you know, I think, I, I think I'm plenty smart, but I was just literally bored. And so I just, there was not a lot that school offered me. So college was no option for me other than I was trying to play basketball and see if I could get a scholarship that way. But uh, anyway, I ended up um, not having a college degree. And my first jobs were, again, uh, I was framing houses. I was uh, working as a landscaper. Um, I, when I first got married, I was just laughing about this the other day. Here was my jobs when I first got married. I'd get up and I was I was the shopping cart guy at a grocery store. So if you ever, you know, I, I would I would hear over the loudspeaker, uh, you know, uh, spill on aisle three, Dan. And uh, <laughs> that was that was me. 
and then I'd collect all the shopping carts in the <laughs> in the parking lot. Um, after that, I would go to bed. I'd get up at two in the morning to drive a truck to deliver papers to the paper boys, and then uh, I would. Um, get up early in the morning and I would grab flyers and go put them door to door. So that was, my, I was working three jobs and still starving, you know? So this is when, uh, you know, again, I'm first married. Um, we're just broke. And I guess one thing that I always had in the back of my mind is there's no way I'm going to live like this. I'm just going to have, a, yes. I'm going to figure something out. Um, I had no real mentors. I had nobody to teach me. Um, I, I begged these. I finally ended up going to the brokerage firms and begging someone to hire me. And uh, finally, one of them said, look, we'll give you a series of three tests. And if you pass them, we'll give you a shot. And I luckily, I passed them. And now I went and took my series seven and became a stockbroker. <laughs> Voila. <laughs> How much did you have to change your mindset to start building wealth versus that um, work mentality, that nine to five kind of blue collar mentality? Yeah. You know, again, I watched my dad do the the day to day grind and I knew there was, there was one guy that I at least knew of, he owned some car dealerships and I knew he was pretty wealthy in our town. And I would see his billboards and advertisements and so forth. And I'm like, okay, it appears owning a business might be a better way to go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's always daunting. And you never know, gosh, is my business going to you know, succeed? Uh, but um, I think this was about, this is, this is going to date me. This is about 1982. I ran across this book. It was called The Goal Book. And I don't even know how I found it. It was paperback, you know, spiral bound. And as I read through it, it just said, write down already happened. And so I said, oh, what do I got to lose? So I started writing down these goals as if they already happened, you know. And this is how big I could think back then. One day I'm going to make $40,000 a year. And I thought, man, if I make 40, I'm going to be just, you know, the richest guy ever, right? And so um, luckily, uh, since I wrote that book or wrote those goals, I've had to up them many, many, many times over my, uh, my career. But that's how I kind of got out of the mindset. I started writing down my goals as if they already occurred. And I mean, I was writing down... I have a computer, I have a car. I mean, just all these things that we all, you know, many people take for granted that I just didn't have access to. And uh, it's just amazing what happens to your mind. And somehow, call it the universe, higher power, whatever. If it's in your head and you concentrate it on enough, uh, it just, it happens. And it does. Yeah, I'm totally an advocate for um, writing down goals and having goals. I think a lot of people have, don't write down their goals. And so they're kind of just going through life, going through the motions and they don't have those things to aim for. And what's I've noticed is that when I write down my goals, I usually surpass them actually. Well, exactly. 
that's why I said, yeah, I went way past 40,000 and, and, uh, and it was everything. It, it didn't matter if it was a, an athletic goal, a financial goal, a family goal, if I just kept focus on it. And now I have four books around the house, one by my bed, one in the office, one in the family room. And I just make sure every night I try every night. Sometimes I miss to just keep those major that I have ahead of me, uh, just at the forefront. And if I write it in this book one day or this book another, it doesn't matter. Um, I'll write it anywhere, anytime, and, and as often as as I can, uh, as often as I can. Yeah, I think it's really important to be focused on something. It does sound a bit California. It does sound a bit woo-woo, but I do think that our minds are a very powerful tool. They're a very powerful muscle. And the very first thing um, is writing it down or saying it, just saying it and saying that you can believe it. I mean, you wouldn't be, you would be shocked by how many people can't even verbalize what they want and get clear on it. And I think some people are actually afraid to get clear on what they want because when you get clear on what you want, then you're clear on what you don't want. And sometimes that means a lot of changes in your life. Maybe get rid of, getting rid of negative friends, getting rid of negative acquaintances, getting rid of habits that you enjoy that might not be the best habits for you. So it can <laughs> definitely be um, a game changer. Um, what kind of sacrifices did you have to make to get where you are today? You know, obviously you're writing goals down, you're changing your mindset, but um is there anything else that you had to do to, to sacrifice to um, have that long-term goal and long-term um, accomplishment in mind? Yeah. I mean, I tell you, I had to put my nose to the grindstone. So you can imagine back in the eighties, when I started, there's no internet, there's no emails, anything like that. So, I mean, it was, it was dial on the phone and it was the room. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would, I started with 32 guys in, in the first year we were down to five by the third year we were down to two. And then the two of us made it until uh, the other guy died. Oh, <laughs> so no. out of the 32 guys I started with, I'm, I'm the, on the single, you know, left one standing. But the reason is, I think the reason is everybody would go home at five o'clock. Well, I would go home too, but I just grab a quick bite to eat. And then I was back to the office and I can't tell you how many nights I spent by myself in the office, just dialing for anybody who would, you know, take two minutes to listen to me. And, uh, so if there, the sacrifice I made was 12, 16 hour days, um, for years, just trying to make, might make my way. And today, oh my gosh, to start today would be so much easier. I had no circle of influence. I had no wealthy friends, no wealthy family, no one I could talk to. So it was literally open the phone book and uh, hope I pick a good street where people have some money. <laughs> yeah, that's that's something that a lot of people who talk about how hard it is today and it's not like it used to be, I think they're a little bit skewed because we have the internet, we have all these resources, we have all these books and YouTube videos of other successful people that we can follow. And so I actually think things are getting easier, but the mindset is, is changing. And I think there's, um, I don't want to call it laziness, but I think that that hustle mindset is, 
um, not as prevalent as it was in the past, but tell us a little bit about your different businesses. I know you have, you're a serial entrepreneur. Um, you've had to deal with difficulties with your businesses. What have you learned from them and how have you applied that to, um, your life experience and everything to that hustle mindset? Yeah. So back in, uh, oh, early two thousands, Again, as one of the things we do with with leveraging life insurance, I started loaning money to a builder, and um, and then he would use my money to build the houses, and then you know pay me an interest rate. We did that for about three or four years, and then he came to me and he said, you know, Dan, why don't you just start a building company? I'll kind of do the work, and uh, you know that way, you know, your money's doing a little better for you than just me paying an interest. And he was. He was big enough, but small enough that he could work both sides, his business and mine at the same time. So that's what we started doing. And then we did that for about four or five years. And then my one of my sons um, sold his business and he was interested in working in the building business. So he now runs that company. But that has been, you know, it's always a challenge in building because you're you're subject to not only an economy, like right now when the feds raised interest rates, you know, um, eight months or a year ago, that just put a halt to, to building. Um, so you're the difficulties of, of running a building company, you're so subject to what's going on economically. It's great when, you know, the bus <laughs> or the boom is going is not so fun when, when the bus comes along. And unfortunately I've been through the 2008, you know, real estate crash. And then now this one's not looking all that great either. But what you got to do is you always got to just remain lean and mean and, um, and productive and make sure that, again, this is so, what's so nice about social media is you can keep your, your name in front of those who are looking for, you know, potentially building a house. And, and so that's, that's been a challenge, but it's also been a, a successful venture as well. And then that's transitioned us into uh, multifamily where, uh, you know, apartments, um, duplexes and things like that. And that's actually, if I could go back and do it all again, I'd probably focus on that side more so than the building side. Um, but that's been why, really- Why do you say that? Um, I like cash flow. <laughs> And when you have a you know 500 apartment buildings and you've got 500 people paying rent every month, I just like that. It's just a and and unfortunately unfortunately people have to live and when things get tough they tend to go to rentals, and uh, so it's just a good long term you know business prospect. Um, so we like those and we kind of create our own fund and we can you know. Uh, help our clients find projects. And so it's been really good in that, in that realm. What about someone who's listening to this and they're like, I'm just starting out. This is so overwhelming what he's telling me. I don't know anything about leveraging life insurance. I don't know anything about it, buying a 500 unit property. What would you tell someone who's just starting out? They're just married. Like, you know, you were back then and they're like, Hey, what should I focus on? How can I build wealth from the very beginning? I'm like 23. Oh man, that's beautiful. I love that. And I'll tell you, I've got five kids. Um, they all practice the same thing. And the first thing is live well within your means. 
live cheap <laughs> and put money away. Uh, just stick that money in anything for the time being until, you know, I mean, obviously we like to stick it into life insurance as soon and as early as possible. Then just start looking for opportunities. And working with a company like ours, we're always helping our clients see those opportunities. But maybe you want to own a business or start a business or buy a business, um, be an investor, or just get enough money so that you can eventually have cash flow to retire. All that starts from just being able to save some money. Uh, we kind of use the theory that you should always pay yourself at least 10% of your income and hopefully build that up to about 40%. But what happens is so many young people strap themselves with debt because they got to have the nicer car or the, the bigger this or the bigger that. And so honestly, right from the very start, pay yourself first, get money saved. Then you'll see the opportunities open up. And there's so many partnerships out there, uh, no matter what you want to do, that you can get involved in if you can't or don't want to handle it all yourself. Yeah, I think that's really important. I know once my husband and I got out of debt, we're like, oh, we have all this money. <laughs> <laughs> so I think people actually make more money than they realize. They're just paying it towards credit cards or debts or whatever. And getting food delivery service, getting Uber Eats. I know everyone makes fun of, oh, I'm not going to be able to become a millionaire saving money on going to Starbucks every day. But actually all of that adds up a lot. And I think that it's a bit, um, I think it's a bit insulting to dismiss basic finance. And like you said, just living lean and saving money, because that does compound pretty quickly once you are out of debt and not spending all of your money on trash. <laughs> you're, you're exactly right. No, I use the analogy that it's easier to stay in shape than to get in shape. Yes. A, oh my God. That's a, so true. <laughs> I'm a competitive water skier and every summer it's like starting over and I got to go through the pain and the muscle aches and everything to get back into water ski shape. Right. Well, it's the same way with finance. It is so, so true. That is such a good metaphor. So much easier to stay out of debt than to get out of debt. And so if you just can start from day one and just say, look, if I use a credit card, I'm only going to use it so that I get some, maybe some perks, but it's going to get paid off. <laughs> if, if you don't have the money to pay it off today, chances are you're not going to have the money in 30 days either. So don't get into that trap. Uh, buy a car that's just cheap and raggedy if you have to. And then you hear the excuse, yeah, but then it cost me more to repair it and all that. No. Just get something that you can get a 10 year old Toyota. <laughs> there you go. It'll last you just long, but get that money saved. You'll be amazed how, like you were saying, how fast it'll compound and grow. And then the opportunities open up. And then all of a sudden you've got money and you can take advantage of this or that. And, uh, and then it just multiplies and compounds. Yeah. That's a really good analogy. I actually gained um, some weight over COVID and it was, so it took me a year to get it off. And now that I'm healthy again, it's, it's easy. I just like do my workout and I just eat healthy, but I did, I did gain the, uh, the COVID 10 or 10, 15. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you see as the uh, biggest mistakes people make with their money other than like you said, maintaining, but what are some of the mistakes you've seen in your practice? 
Um, I don't know if this is a huge mistake, but a lot of young people I'm seeing, they're rolling the dice on, on a, uh, I'm not, I, I actually love cryptocurrency and what it can do and all that. But when I see these young kids on TikTok telling you, oh, you know, buy this coin or this coin or this coin, you know, it's so almost impossible to research a coin like you can a stock. I mean, if I want to own Apple stock, I can go research it for, you know, I got all kinds of data to tell me whether or not this is a good investment or not. But to go buy XYZ coin, I've got no data. I've got some kid on TikTok telling me this is the next big hit. And I've I've actually watched, I, I know very specific people who've done very well doing that. And then they make the wrong decision and potentially lose it all. So I wouldn't take the gamble on the big hit. I would, I would take the predictable compounding um, tax advantaged investment all day long. Okay. Um, I think also, yeah, if people want to allocate towards certain risk, like maybe they have a certain pot for investing, but then there's 25% for crypto, 25% for traditional, 25% for real estate. So not putting all of your eggs in one basket. Yep. Couldn't agree more. And look, I, I mean, again, I'm, I'm not really the guy to, I, I like crypto. I have quite a bit in it. So I don't know why I use that as my analogy, but um, don't, I guess what I'm trying to say is don't try the get rich quick overnight things. Um, just be very consistent with your savings and investing and you'll be amazed how, how that'll work for you. Yeah. I think that's good, solid advice. Um, what are the biggest lies you feel that are being propagated in the financial world? Um, and what advice do you think is really helpful or what's harmful? I know, um, I had a friend that did not do well financially and he was, blaming fin financial experts. I, I don't think that that's the case, but this is just his experience. And I know a lot of people get confused with financial advice or they hear mixed financial advice. You know, maybe Dave Ramsey says one thing, maybe Robert Kiyosaki says something else, and it can be a little bit confusing. Totally agree. And um, this is where we probably traditional financial planning path. Um, I'll just, my biggest thing is the 401k. I just don't think that is the place where people can build their wealth and generate the income. It takes it out of your control for 20, 30, 40 years, depending on when you put the money in. And you gotta wait till you're basically 60 years old to touch it. You're only gonna be able to invest in the things that the company um, chose. Their mutual funds, their products, funds, yeah. Their products, their mutual funds. And honestly, I would much rather have control of that money and, and use, use it to invest in tax-advantaged investments rather than using my 401k. And, and the truth is, 401k is nothing but kicking the, the tax can down the road. Um, I always say that if, when you do a 401k or an IRA, don't forget about your silent partner, and that's the IRS, and they are always there. <laughs> They're, they're lurking. They want their peace whenever you take that money out. And I, I mean, I hear it almost every day. Well, gosh, I got this money in a 401k, but I don't want to take it out because I got to pay taxes. And I'm, and I, all I can say is, well, you're going to pay taxes sooner or later. Now it's just a, and so 
that is my biggest one. I would rather see people do things outside of 401ks that are more productive than uh, than what's what they can do inside the 401k. Yeah, I actually absolutely agree with that advice. Um, I am not a financial advisor, hashtag not a financial advice, but I do personally agree with that because I think that people can get a higher ROI in other ways using more creative um, things with their capital. I do recommend it for people that are just completely don't want to deal with finance so that they have something because some people, I mean, it's a very basic um, tool and some people aren't even using that. Like if they have a company match or something, but once you get a little bit more sophisticated with finance, there are so many other ways, like you said, leveraging um, different money to do real estate or leveraging different project products. And that's something that's a little more advanced. I think some people get really stressed out and um, overwhelmed when it comes to finance. And I think that it's very important to get educated. And so I love that you're educating people because the more power and control you have over your own financial situation, the more wealth you can create. Yeah, no question about it. And when you start thinking about the the compounding effect of like, like I was you know indicating the things that we do, by the time you hit retirement, the income that we can generate versus what a 401k would generate. I mean, again, depending on your age and how long you have, but it could be 10, 15 times more income and all tax advantaged than what you'll get out of a, a 401k. And I always yeah. get asked, you know, what, so what about the match? I don't want to give up the match. And I say, well, if you could compare the numbers and project out in, you know, 20, 30 years, I promise you, you'll give up the match for what you could do on your own. <laughs> yeah. And the compounding doesn't even take that long. Like uh, with a 401k, yes, you can become a millionaire compounding at 10% over 20, 30 years. But if you're taking money out of something and leveraging it further, and that's leveraging on top of that, on top of that, that compounds really quickly. Really and that's quick. what people don't understand. Because there's certain, especially with real estate, if you're using it to build real estate or do cash flowing, that cash flow is then compounding on top of that. And you're using that money to then invest further and invest further and invest further. So that a lot of times people look at a compound interest calculator and they'll look at something over 20, 30 years and not realizing, I mean, just the cash flow from a, a rental property, one rental property, not even an apartment complex can compound very quickly over 10 years. No question about it. I was showing a guy the other day, his 401k projections um, were about, he was going to get about 75,000 a year. And then we kind of just did a side by side of what we could potentially do. And it was about 180, 185,000 a year. The difference is it was 185,000. 75,000. And again, his silent partner wanted their piece. By the Uncle time he Sam. got it down, he <laughs> might be able to spend forty-eight, yeah, might be able to spend forty-eight, forty-nine thousand dollars off of fairly substantial a million two, I think, was in the four hundred and one k at that time. You know, projected out, and um, so yeah, I mean, the differences can be huge when you think outside the box and things that traditional financial planning just can't do for you. Do you think that's why it's pushed so heavily because the government wants their cut? <laughs> well, it's nice for the government in the sense that you're going to manage their money for them. Hopefully you'll do a good job inside the 401k 
and then they're going to benefit, you know, as well. So where I might, let's say I put $10,000 into a 401k, I might've had to pay the government, you know, $3,000 and maybe I would net seven up front, but a million dollars later, now I'm going to be giving the government, you know, 300, $350,000 instead of just getting rid of that tax early on. And, and here's, oh, I got to say this, this is where I, my real pet peeve is when they're brand new, you know, uh, just out of college, first job, probably the lowest tax bracket they're ever going to be in. And first day, here comes the, you know, 401k people. Oh, you got to start your 401k. Man, that is, this is the time where you want to get the taxes done when you're in your lowest tax bracket. And um, so these 20 something year olds who are coming out of college, getting their first job, man, to do a 401k and to, to defer a tax at, let's say 20% to ultimately turn around and pay it later at 30 or 35%, that was just a big waste. If you're not coming out of your 401k in a lower tax bracket than the money that you supposedly saved, you lose. There was no reason to do it. And I'm afraid with what we're doing with the government debt, taxes, their tax rates are going to go up sooner or later. So all these people who are deferring tax could have potentially paid a lower tax, <laughs> you know, early on instead of waiting 15 or 20 years to pay a higher tax bracket. So that's a real frustration for me. Yeah. And those are people who don't have the money for that. They're younger. Like you said, they're starting their careers and things like that. Um, Dan, we have to wrap up, but why don't you tell the listeners and watchers where they can find out more about Wise Money Tools? Well, I think the best place is uh, our YouTube channel, Wise Money Tools. Um, I think we have over 500 videos now. So lots to, to look at. Uh, uh, wisemoneytools.com, my website. Uh, you certainly can reach out, email dan at wisemoneytools.com and we can talk further about your situation if you'd like. Awesome. Thank you so much for being guests on Out of the Box Podcast. Guys, check me out on Instagram, Out of the Box Rosie and Twitter at Funny Rosie. Thanks for listening. This has been Out of the Box Podcast with Rosie Tran.